All the games I used to play in my younger wilder days. The game of clubs and tees and never crossed. Welcome into another episode of the Turn Fancy Golf Podcast. I'm Andrew Putters. And today is a special day. I've got my normal partner in crime with me, Joe Nicely, lead editor, uh, editor of golf up at rotoballer.com. And uh, another guy from Rotoballer who you all might know uh, got a pretty decent award this week. Fancy sports writer, uh, fancy sports golf writer of the year, Spencer Aguiar, all the way from Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, guys, I mean, let's just talk. Let's just get the cat out of the bag right now. Spencer, uh, Great acceptance speech there. Uh, uh, how how surprised were you to get nominated number one, and 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 then you know taking down uh, one of the one of the one of the OGs in in the industry. I, I really appreciate it, Andrew. You know, we have so many quality content creators in this space. I feel like golf is growing at one of the highest rates of any sport out there. Uh, but I said it on Thursday, and I will reiterate it again here. Winning an award like that isn't possible without the support I've received from all of you that take the time to listen to podcasts like this, or in the case of the FSWA contest, read written work throughout the space. Uh, I can't thank everyone enough for the love I was shown during both the initial reveal of the finalists and then the eventual announcement of the winner. Uh, But I guess to answer that question, this is something that I eat, sleep, and breathe every single day to try to provide the best content possible. Uh, It doesn't mean that I'll necessarily always have the perfect picks and it's always going going to go great with it. But, you know, my goal is to provide information. It's why I release a model every single week for people to get better. And um, I I was, you know, it's one of those things where I was, I don't want to say surprised that I was nominated because I'm putting in the hard work to try to get to that level with it. But uh, it was just a really big honor to end up getting the award with that. And and I feel like I'm always quoting Kobe in these situations, but there is a quote from Kobe that says, if you don't, if you want to be great in a particular area, you have to obsess over it. And I don't know how to say this in a non over the top way, but I am fully consumed by the process that goes into this weekly. Um, I'll wrap this up in a second, but I was extremely fortunate to start off in this business over at Rotoballer. Alex Roberts and Lior are the founders of the site, and they've always allowed me to be myself when putting together my work. And even more importantly than that, I was extremely lucky to start off with a great team that was being built up from scratch. The original crew is down to just Joe and I now, but you know, I meant it when I said it the other day, man, Joe, you have become my brother in this industry. When I got the job at Rotoballer, you were my sixth follower I ever had on Twitter. That's how long we've been doing this together. I've always had you to run ideas by when we've been trying to grow the website. None of this happens overnight. It's been a steady grind for both of us since the Masters in 2018 to now. And I'm just proud of what we have accomplished together. The growth of the website has reached the next level with additions, you know, such as Andrew, Owen Vrabel, Matt Miller, Model Maniac, Chris Wassel, Rob Glittner, and all the other members of the team. And, uh, you know, I just want to thank you, Joe, for being the star of the lead role of this team. So... I'm very thankful for our friendship together. Yeah, man, me too, Spencer. And so proud of you, buddy, as, as, as we've talked about and nobody deserves it more. Nobody works harder. So, uh, just really happy for you, man. Very well deserved. Thank you, Joe. I appreciate it, man. Okay, guys, we got all the mushy stuff out of the way. Let's go ahead and hit up on the golf tournament last week. Uh, uh, pretty good tournament. Uh, looked like we was gonna have a runaway bride, uh, or actually, looked like we was going to have a runaway. Ended up having a runaway, Brad. Uh, Daniel Berger uh, stumbled his toe early and, and often on Sunday, and, and it's easy easy golf course to do it on down there at the PGA course down there in Florida. And uh, man, it's a uh, just a it's uh, not an easy course. And then to throw in the bear trap at the end, you know they made they made the bear trap play real easy on the first couple of days compared to the weekend, and it the teeth really reared its head on on the weekend and. Uh, you know, uh, start with you, Joe. Last week, uh, I mean, we can't be surprised that, that Seth won, uh, or we can be surprised that he won this tournament. We can't be surprised that he's a winner on the PJ Tour, can we? No, man. I mean, he's one of those guys uh, we've kind of seen, uh, you know, hanging around, making some deep runs from time to time. Uh, not not an extremely consistent guy, but we've kind of kind of glimpsed his upside in different spots. Uh, several top tens for him, so. You know, I, I'd say it's not a huge surprise. Uh, he, he was a guy we thought maybe was going to grab a win at some point, but uh, it was certainly surprising kind of how it all transpired uh, with, with Daniel Berger having a five-shot lead going into Sunday and just 
completely choking that thing away. Um, as you mentioned, it's a it's an easy course to do it on. Really tough course to play with the lead, but uh, you know Berger's the class player in that field, and, and he goes in with a five shot lead and can't get it done. Um, Shane Lowry can't hold on. Uh, hit a really weird kind of. It started. Pour, I don't know if you guys got to watch. It started pouring down the rain the the last couple of holes of the tournament, and uh, Lowry just hit a really strange tee shot on the very last hole uh, on the seventy second hole. Uh, kind of hopped out from his umbrella, hit a horrible drive really quickly, and hopped back under his umbrella almost like he was scared of the rain. So it's just kind of a weird, uh, weird end to to that tournament. Uh, but yeah, man, Sepp Strzok is a winner. Um, you know, he's a guy we can normally find pretty cheap in DFS and, and tossing some GPPs um, because of that upside, and and he came through uh, his first win ever. So uh, congrats to him. Yeah, Sepp Strzok, a University of Georgia guy. I mean. Uh... I don't want to hark on this, but you know, it seems like we get a lot of winners out of Georgia. Uh, a lot, a lot I of PJ. A, I needed of players another Georgia Bulldog to win last week. Yeah. Keith yeah. Mitchell. Yeah. Uh, first, uh, first PJ winner out of uh, uh, that was born in Austria. I saw, I think, also on Twitter. Pretty interesting. Um, you know, um, not sure that Austria is the place to go to, or, you know, it's not known for the golf at all. So it's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, I was, I, I, with you, you know, I, I was, I was down in Florida as everybody knows, uh, posted some pictures down there, but, uh, doing the family stuff, but, uh, you know, we, with the way the SPN plus app works now, I mean, the streaming's pretty good. And as far as you follow a couple groups, follow a couple featured holes and, you know, uh, we did a lot of that and, uh, and, um, yeah, I, I I didn't get to watch the leaders really hold by hole, but I got to watch a lot of golf. And I'll say this: I was after watching the leaderboard and you're know, watching the game cast and stuff like that, or the tour cast, whatever it is they call it on the app. I was like, man, uh, Shane Lowry might be like a major contender on a lot of golf courses. I mean, I think I haven't given him what he's worth, and then <laughs> then he doesn't close this thing out. It was really weird. So, uh, Spencer, uh, what what you could take from the golf tournament? I know uh, Daniel Berger not winning stung pretty hard, but I uh, mean, you know. Uh, I mean, you're still on a pretty good roll though, buddy. Yeah, I really wanted that burger victory. It would have been three outrights in a row for me. It could have even been four if Spieth didn't falter late at Pebble Beach a few weeks ago. But all of this, unfortunately, comes with the territory and betting or DFS. Uh, I agree with what you said earlier that I don't think the Straka win was that out of left field. Hindsight's always 2020 in these situations, but I wrote Straka up as a target. Uh, I was trying to get exposure to throughout the event in different matchups. I found a pre-tournament bet with him over Fratelli. I played him in round one over Vincent Whaley, uh, but there was a real path for him to be added to my outright card. At the end of the day, I just thought he played better as a cash game player, a head-to-head -head target than a golfer that was actually going to win the event. But Sometimes you just need an aberrational outlier with a certain facet of your game to break the seal. And he certainly got that with his putter over the four days. And uh, just to add to that, I could have used a victory out of Chris Kirk if we're going to go down that uh, Georgia route with it. But uh, Kirk faltered also on Sunday. So, you know, I had Berger and Kirk there with outright tickets to try to make it three in a row. And both of those two guys, unfortunately, just couldn't get the job done. Yeah, Sepp Straka, a winner uh, last week at uh, the PGA National course and uh, down at the Bear Trap. So, uh, congratulations on that. Moving on this week, guys, uh, interesting event. Uh, first news hit the wagon, I guess, maybe, uh, what, about, about an hour and a half ago, two hours ago. Um, Bryson DeChambeau released a little minute, 15-second video uh, uh, in his living room talking about he's still injured and want to make a comeback. I didn't get a chance to look. I feel like that he was listed, maybe was it, on the pro member at Seminole today. Uh, and, you know, it's a big, uh, big uh, exhibition that's kind of got some pub over yeah, he, the years. He was supposed to play in that. I don't yeah. know if he did. Or Probably didn't. If, yeah. Probably didn't. So, uh, anyway, uh, I, that's over with. Uh, we're not going to see any 430-yard drives. Uh, uh, you know, we ain't going to see guys have 58 yards into a – a par five this week. So, but uh, Arnold Palmer Invitational played at the Bay Hill Club and Lodge in Orlando, Florida, or uh, Bay Hill, Florida, whichever way you want to say it, which is where I just got back from. And let me go ahead and tell you folks, it's in the, it was in the low 90s there uh, while I was there and it's hot. It was hot. So, uh, is, uh, they're going to have some heat, which they had some heat this weekend. So it'll be okay. 
Uh, Bay Hills, par 72, 74, 66, uh, designed in 1961 by Dick Wilson, uh, renovated by the late, great Arnold Palmer, 2009. We got Bermuda grass with some perennial rye throughout the whole golf course. Uh, golf course is always going to be in good shape. Uh, interesting fact about this tournament, it's one of five, I believe, I read that's one of five uh, special tournaments that has a lower field. Uh, it doesn't have a full field of 144, 156, which is, so it's actually down to, uh, 120 to 132, and I think this field's reported at 120, I believe. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but there's five, four other tournaments, the Genesis, the RPZ, Heritage, Fort Worth, and Memorial. So you guys can put that in a little note that it's going to be a little smaller field. Um, so uh, chalk's going to be probably a little bit higher this week. Uh, tournament's been played at this golf course, I mean, probably since it's, uh, since its start, yeah, since its start in 1978 um so or 19 excuse me 1966 yeah 1966 um interesting thing about this tournament for me guys is that the winners have been all over the place i had a really hard time making a model up for this golf course from the standpoint that we look at somebody like tiger woods that just destroyed proximity for years in years out uh, before we even really kept that stat and uh, he won it eight times here. Matt Avery, who has had flashes of great proximity, has won twice. But then you get into, like, you know, even a Jason Day, Spencer's guy, uh, Mark Leishman, uh, Mullen. Okay, let's listen to his last five winners. DeChambeau, Hatton, Molinari, Roy McRoy, Mark Leishman. Five games, five guys that have com all have completely different games. Uh, with the side note that maybe Rory and DeChambeau get hot with the driver and it's a different game for him. So, uh, talk about the Bay Hill Go uh, Golf Club and Lodge, which I didn't know they changed the name to that, but Bay Hill Golf Club and Lodge. Uh, and what you let's get your take on it first, Spencer. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you just said. I've historically found the API to be a challenging tournament to handicap. Uh, you went through some of the list of winners there. Obviously, one of them is the worldwide superstar Jason Day winning this tournament in the past, but there are some flaws anytime you talk about a course that sees some of the highest margins of impact when it comes to water penalties. I, I will get a little deeper into the stats in a second, but uh, as Andrew just said, this is one of only five tournaments on the PGA Tour with invitational status. That means that the reduced field of 120 golfers will make it easier to make the cut since we still are sticking with the top 65 in ties aspect. Uh, to me, that signifies more of a boomer bust mentality when constructing lineups in DFS since some of the risk is reduced, but the course still remains very challenging. There's a three inch thick rye rough mixed with fiery greens that can spell disaster for those that can't find the short grass off the tee. Sand safe percentage is critical with 85 bunkers littered throughout the property. And there are 10 holes where water comes into play. Those pitfalls of waters and bunkers are more prevalent here because of the shaved runoff areas where the balls can run into problems. It's why we have had the highest percentage of penalty strokes at the venue in two of the past three years. Um, you know, part three scoring has been critical to finding success with all essentially measuring over 200 yards. And while par five scoring is always vital on these par 72 layouts, it is even more so this week when you consider there isn't a hole with higher than an 18.2% birdie or better rate when you remove the par fives from the equation. When we add them back into the fray, those four will be your scorable chances at between 33 to 57% of a birdie or better percentage. And I know all of that sounds pretty straightforward and easy when building a model, but Andrew touched on this also. We have seen players excel at this course in so many different ways over the years. I still believe a combination of total driving, difficult scoring, long iron play to account for the nearly 30% of second shots that take place over 200 yards, uh, sand safe percentage, and things of that nature will be of the utmost importance. But the varying routes to succeed at this course with the potential for water danger I don't know how else to say this. It turns it into a crapshoot, and and that's always a difficult thing to wager on when you have that that comes into play. Joe, uh, any thoughts on the tournament in the field or the, the uh, course in the field? Excuse me. I love this tournament, guys. Uh, strong field. We got half the top ten players in the world uh, teeing it up this week, and. And the thing I like about this golf course, it's a big boy golf course. Uh, we talked about a couple of weeks ago at Riviera. We talked about Torrey Pines. It's kind of in that similar vein. You start looking at the former winners here, uh, big time players, Tiger Woods, uh, multiple winner. Hendrick Stenson has been extremely good here for years. Uh, Sergio Garcia, Jason Day, Justin Rose, 
uh, Bryce Nishambo, Roy McIlroy. I mean, these are guys that have major championship pedigree um, that we're going to see pop up in U.S. Opens, pop up at the Masters. Um, so that's kind of the angle I'm taking. Uh, I'm looking for quality guys that are good from tee to green. I, I, I do want to circle that 200-plus yard uh, approach range that Spencer touched on. I think that's very strong correlation to success here. Something Bryson DeChambeau is very underrated at. Um, I had a really good week in this event last year, kind of zeroing in on that. Something I picked up with Bryson, so uh, it's it's something I'll be weighing heavily again this year. All right, guys, let's get right into the slate. Uh, at the top of your chain, um, let's just uh, let's just go ten uh, k and above. Matsuyama, Scheffler, Hovland, McElroy, Rom. Um, we say it seemed like every time he's in the field, guy uh, Spencer. You know, I know you're not on the show every week, but every time that John Rom's in the field, a bad day for him is about twelfth place, and so we have to take that into factor. However, uh, on this golf course, man, Roy McIlroy. Let's be honest. When he's comfortable, nobody wants any. He's comfortable here. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't have to sit there and watch uh, Bryson DeChambeau hit it 450 yards. So he's not going to be uh, not going to have mind tricks with that. Uh, and this and this in this top five here, I, I'm Rory or bust, guys. I'm sorry, 11-1. I normally Joe knows I pass in this range every week. Just about I'm I'm Rory or bust in 11-1. Um, Joe, where you at up here? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> totally get you, Andrew. I think you have to love Rory. I think a lot of people will. He'll be a very popular play, but it's it's with good reason, man. One here in 2018, uh, bookended since 2017 with four additional top tens. So he's just been an absolute beast on this course. You mentioned when he's comfortable, golf courses that he likes. Quail Hollow, Augusta, Bay Hill um, plays repeatedly well on those tracks. So I look for a, look for a strong outing, man. He's He's played well. Uh, just missed out on a playoff uh, over in Dubai. Uh, had a T10 at the Genesis, so the form's decent. Um, so, you know, a lot of eyes are immediately going to go to Rory this week. John Rahm's going to be his first ever start at Bay Hill. We're kind of guessing out as to how he's going to handle it. I'm guessing he's going to handle it fairly well, uh, kind of like he does every single track. Uh, talked a minute ago about major championship pedigree, guys that have the ability to handle these type of golf courses. Uh, John Rom certainly won, man. Uh, you know, you, you can't really find a bad fit for Rom, so you have to respect him. Victor Hovland is very interesting to me. The course history isn't good, um, but it's a little bit deceiving, man. Had a T49 last year, but at the 36-hole mark last year, he was tied for third in this golf tournament with Roy McIlroy. Um, so that T49 last year is a little bit deceiving. I uh, expect to see a big jump for him this year with the results. So, you know, that might be a, something you want to look at. I think Vic might go a little bit under-owned when we compare him to the guys in this price range. And then Scheffler, you could argue he's playing maybe the best golf of anybody in the world right now. Uh, had a big win at Phoenix. Uh, followed that up with a strong outing at Riviera. Has a T15 and his only uh, Bay Hill start. And I really like Scotty on this golf course. Uh, what are your thoughts up here, Spencer? Yeah, there does seem to be an early leverage advantage where the $10,000 and above golfers are at or below those in the $9,000 range. To simplify that thought a little, um, most users are littering their builds with the $9,000 golfers. There are a few names that will provide more of a contrarian route that I will get to shortly when we get into that range. But it means the increase in that area is making some of the 10K plus targets marginally under-owned. And to be honest, I don't have an issue with anyone at the top. All are currently providing a leverage advantage in my model. The entire group ranks inside the top six of my spreadsheet when it comes to upside. Those are the trends I want to see when I'm in the mindset of trying to be more boomer bust on my build. So with that being said, um, I would say my my two favorite plays this week are probably Rory McIlroy at 11,100 and Victor Hovland at 10,800. Uh, you both alluded to it. McElroy is going to be extremely popular because of his course history. I don't want to make it sound by saying that the ownership is shifting to the range below him and that he's not going to be popular because he is, but there are ways to go exponentially overweight. If you start constructing lineups around him differently than other users, you know, McElroy with another 10 K plus option is one strategy. Um, I don't want to get too much into the 9K range, but if you pair him with Sungjae or Hatton, that would immediately diversify some of your builds. There are a handful of 8K players that I will talk about later when I get there. Uh, but five straight top 10 finishes at Bay Hill. 
He's one of only four players, the other three being Hovland, Rom, and Hideki that rank inside the top 20 of every statistical metric that I attach the weight to in this event. I get the recent approach form might provide some concerns, but 66% of second shots take place beyond 150 yards at this track. When I reweighted the proximity totals to mimic this venue, Rory graded sixth, 11 spots higher than his two-year baseline projection on a random course. And then as far as Hovland is concerned, it's impossible to explain some of these weird trends on tour. I don't understand why he has yet to win on American soil, but we see anomalies when you try to crunch numbers together all the time. He ranks first in both proximity from 150 yards and beyond and weighted par five scoring in my model. And he also checks in at a stout second in total driving. I think if the short game can be decent this week, I agree with what Joe said. I think this is an under the radar spot for him that maybe he can end his drought in America and pull this tournament out. And the other thing that Joe mentioned, it's not like he hasn't been good here before. The, res- the end results have not been good, but you know he's been in the top five after 36 holes before. So uh, McElroy and Hovland will be the two guys that I'm going to find myself most using. But as I said, I think this range in general is pretty solid. Yeah, I like it too. I agree with you. They're the, my two favorite ones are the Hovland, just probably because he's probably, you're right, guys. He's going to be overlooked in this range with Sheffer coming off a win. Matsuyama seems like he's getting some love in the DFS world. So I agree. Uh, moving on down 9K, a uh, smaller group here, or small group as well here Adam Scott, Leishman, Fitzpatrick, Hatton, Zalatoris, Sunjay. I'm a little surprised at Fitzpatrick's success here over the years, but let's be honest, guys, he's a, he's a great talent. Uh, don't know if his win equity is that great, but he's a great talent. And Hatton just has to be so spot on with his irons, which, I mean, that's his strength. But uh, he gives up he gives up a lot off tee distance wise, and um, and and Adam Scott sneaks in there in tournaments like this. I mean, Riviera did it, uh, snuck in there, finished pretty decent. This is the kind of course where Adam Scott can basically never you never see a shot he hit all week and finishes ninth. So. Um, Leachman, former winner. Zalatoris is probably going to be the most popular here, guys. Let's get real. I don't know where to go here, guys, in this range. Uh, I could see – I could make a case for all all the guys in the 9K, and I could make a case for not playing any of the guys in the 9K. Obviously, Willie Z is a, uh, the crowd favorite. Where are you all at? Spencer, you go first. Yeah, I'll probably find myself marginally overweight to other users just for the reason that I said. I think that the $9,000 range is going to be super popular – and as you mentioned, Zalatoris' popularity is running wild right now. I currently have him as the most popular selection for the week. Uh, with that being said, he is the fourth-ranked player on my model overall and eighth for upside. Uh, the one thing I will note is most of these margins are much smaller than people realize in difference between someone like Zalatoris and Hatton. Sportsbooks have them matched against each other at minus 110 both ways, yet Hatton is projected to be half the ownership. I don't necessarily believe Zalatoris is going to burn lineups to the ground, but I'm going to take the contrarian route and try to beat him in a lot of these spots. Um, you know, I think Hatton's one guy you can do it with. And then I really like Sung JM to bounce back at 9,900. It was a tough round one for him at PGA national last week. I thought he got it together on Friday, but the course history is brilliant with three top 21s and three tries. The current form has been really solid. If you remove the missed cut last week, And he ranks fourth in this field in total driving and ninth in weighted tee to green. A lot of these decisions will come down to where ownership ends up going by Thursday. But I see the best leverage openings on those two at the moment. Uh, Just to throw a couple other names out there. Fitzpatrick, yes, I think he's worth monitoring to see where that ownership goes. As I said with Zalatoris, uh, I'm going to keep an eye on him. But with the amount of Rory that I plan to play, I likely will be looking to pair him in unique routes. You know, I mentioned some of them, but Rory Hovland, Rory Sungjae, Rory in the random 8K second piece that I'm going to put in there. I just don't see what Rory and Zalatoris accomplishes in MME builds when you combine them together at that popularity. You can get around it in single entry. It obviously doesn't matter in cash. I mean, that's one way that you can certainly go about it, although you end up paying on the bottom end of the salary scale when you do that. But I'd rather play Zalatoris when I can you know, find a more contrained opening to pair him with alongside. Um I will say I probably like Fitzpatrick more still than Zalatoris because I think the ownership drops marginally since he withdrew during his last start. But a lot of those decisions are going to come later in the week when we have more data on hand. Where you at, Joe? Um, Yeah, man, there's a lot to love in this range. Spencer Spencer touched on a lot of it. Uh, A couple of funky little just 
kind of odd pricing things, man. There's a $400 gap between Hideki and Sungjae, which is kind of odd. We go from 10.3 to 9,900. And then a $500 gap between Sungjae and Willie Z, uh, who's in at 9,400. I think that's going to send a lot of people flocking to Willie Z, um, you know, because of that $500 dip right there, which is not something we always see. Um, so I think he'll, he'll be extremely popular in this price range as Spencer touched on. Um, but he's very, very good from tee to green. This is the type of golf course that fits in perfectly. Uh, plenty of length off the tee. Great long iron player. Had a tee 10 in his Bay Hill debut last year. So there's a lot to like with Willie Z. Uh, maybe the most interesting and kind of surprising stat that I've come across this week. First in strokes game par five over the last 24 rounds, Matthew Fitzpatrick. <laughs> very, very weird. Um, but he's played extremely well at this golf course. Par five scoring is important here. There are four this week uh, on this par 72 layout. Uh, he's an excellent Bermuda putter. Um, so maybe we can attribute some of his success here to that. Um, but he's been in great form, man. Won over in uh, Europe, won the Andalusia Masters uh, back in October. Played really well there. Uh, off to a strong start this year in the U.S., two top tens in his two starts, and the course history is amazing. So, you know, a lot to like with Matthew Fitzpatrick. If I'm picking a guy under the radar, a guy that's been really sneaky good this year, really, really solid, gain strokes on approach and tee to green in every start of 2022, that's Mark Leishman at 9,100. Um, I know he's not the sexiest play, but he's got a really good course history here, former winner here, had a runner up here a couple years ago. Um, and he's been under the radar good this year. So, you know, if I'm going against the grain here, tossing out a guy, uh, I'd give Mark Leishman a look there at 9.1K. He'd probably be the lowest on guy in this price range. Just to add one more thing to the Matthew Fitzpatrick thing that you mentioned, because you talked a little bit about it with the Bermuda stats, but when I look at my two-year baseline model, when I look at weighted fast Bermuda, which is essentially just taking 80% strokes gain total on Bermuda, fast Bermuda that is, and 20% putting on fast Bermuda. Matthew Fitzpatrick is the number one player in this field. So I think there's a reason why he's found success at this course. Like it's, it's the par five scoring now too. I mean, like Joe said, he's been great at it recently, but three top tens at this tournament over the last three years. So I'm curious to see where the ownership goes with Fitzpatrick. I certainly think he's in play this week though, um, for a lot of different game types. Yeah. And I mean, just to be honest with this, Will he go a little overlooked, or are people going to still love him even though it's on a on a big boy golf course? I mean, you, I know predictions are about 17, 18% right now, but I mean, Fitzpatrick. it seems high. I think Fitzpatrick and Zalatoris are going to be super popular. I think those are going to be the most, the two most popular guys in that range. And, uh, you know, Joe's point of Sungjae being 9,900 and Zalatoris being 9,400. That's just such a steep drop that we don't ever see in these tournaments. And that's one of the reasons why I like Sungjae. I think that if he would have performed last week, you could make a really sound argument that he should have also been in this $10,000 range. Like you could have made him 10,100. You could have made Zalatoris 9,800. And I think you get a much better pricing board when you do something like that than when they put out with it. And it just made things a little bit more complicated because, you know, I like Zalatoris. I don't want to make it like I don't. It's just, if he's going to be 23 to 25%, it's just really difficult to try to play him alongside Rory this week. Yeah. I mean, and another way to look at it, Spencer, just to circle back to Sanjay is, you know, if Sanjay's coming in off of, you know, let's say Sanjay had a T4 last week at the Honda. Um, we, we look at his current form and we look at his course history and we're, you know, we're can't wait to get him in lineups. So, you know, He's coming off a miscut. I, re I really like it as a bounce back spot. I agree with you, especially if he's going to be contrarian there. Yeah, that's probably the route that I'm going to be most looking to go. And it just comes down to ownership in these ranges. Like it's, it ends up becoming a mathematical game that we're trying to find the answer to, because as I said, I don't think there's that big of a difference between Sung Jay, Zalatoris, um, those two specifically. I think those are probably the two best guys in this range, but I think Sung Jay's right there with them and in a lot of spots is going to be a lot better just because of the ownership. Guys, let's get down the AK range now. Uh, Tringali, Mitchell, Sanjay, or excuse me, Sanjay, Sergio, Paul Casey, Kokrak, Henley, Gooch, Max Homa, Sam Burns, Billy Ho. Um, unfortunately, the guy that ranks the highest in this range uh, is the chalky of the chalk. 
every time he plays a tournament, he seems like he's 20 to 30% on Paul Casey for me. Uh, he ranks the highest in my model, uh, which is uh, – I hate that. I wish he wasn't, but he does. And it seems like every time he's in a tournament like this, he's he's between 78 and 8,500. I feel like I'm like auto-clicking it, and it just hasn't paid off for me long-term. Uh, so I'll probably go a little different here. Co-Crack has had decent finishes. He doesn't rank as high up as I think he should in this model, but his proximity is not great 200-plus yards in the last, you know – two dozen three dozen rounds which is very surprising because that that used to be his strength and it seems like he's become better better putter and a worse and worse ball striker guys uh but uh, keith mitchell uh is right up there for me here uh he's had decent finishes here i think in the past let's just look real quick uh yeah very good finishes here yeah yeah top six top five 43rd and it's three times i like keith mitchell probably gonna be pretty decently popular but not over the top maybe what 10 12 percent uh, that's how I'm going right here in the 8K range. Guys, uh, follow up with me there. I'll add one thing to that just um, just because you mentioned it. Do you have any different opinion uh, if Keith Mitchell is 20%? Because that's what I'm seeing on him right now. I think so. I just have to – I have to feel with – you know, if you look and you got Taylor Gooch, Max Holm, I mean, these guys that are, people love to own. Sam Burns, Homa, Gooch, Henley, Kokrak, Casey. Those are, those are usually guys that – People in the DFS world like to play, especially uh, over over past. And really, I mean, let's be honest, Sergio's going to go massively overlooked here in this range, guys. And uh, and I know Joe hates that guy, but uh, I love Sergio personally. Uh, so um, I don't know what to do here. Uh, I mean, I love Keith Mitchell's game the best. Probably love Sergio from the uh, uh, contrarian move. Yeah, I'll run through this really quickly. There's probably four options right now that I'm considering higher than the rest. Max Homa, 8,700, two top four finishes here in his two attempts. Back-to-back top 14 results on tour. He ranks inside the top 30 of this field in total driving, par four scoring, and weighted proximity. Those are likely the three most important categories for the week. Uh, Paul Casey, 8,300. Andrew touched on this Um there's really no other way around it, in my opinion. He probably should have been a 9,000-plus golfer. And then we're not going to get the popularity that we end up getting on him this week because he's looking like he's going to push 15 to 17%. Uh, the one pushback I'll have to that is, you know, Casey's upside is always in question, but the reduced price tag means we would gladly take what he typically provides. He's sixth in my model from an overall sense. His matchup at some of the sharper offshore books are Will Zalatoris and Terrell Hatton. I think that shows that there's a pricing error for him this week. I don't necessarily trust the short game. I think he's dodgy out of bunkers, but it would have been a different story if he was $1,000 more expensive. Everybody has red flags of some kind at this point. And 8300 is just a really good price tag for him. Uh, he's way too low in salary based off of that. Keith Mitchell, 8100 on the opposite end of Casey. I wish he would have been $1,000 more expensive. Mitchell is currently the second highest projected player in ownership behind Will Zalatoris for the week. His mixture of course history and current form are about as high as anyone in this field, but we see where the number is going to go. I mean, like, I think that this is going to keep pushing up with this, like 8,100 just too cheap. So for that reason, I'll probably use them primarily for cash if we don't get a budge of some kind. And then uh, Andrew mentioned this Sergio Garcia at 8,100, um, He's going to be the overlooked commodity in this range. We haven't seen him at this course since 2012, but four top 33s in his four career attempts. I, I think this is a similar spot to Hatton where the price tag might be a little high, but the way you know ownership is flocking around players that are in that range around him, I think he's one of the better contrarian MME targets that you can find in this tournament. Yeah, it's a it's a very interesting range, Spencer. I, I think there's going to be um, kind of massively popular guys and guys that go extremely overlooked uh, in this range. So it's kind of a, a really interesting uh, mix of guys in there. Kind of like everybody else, I really love Keith Mitchell. Um, I love the form. I love the course history. I love the fit. Uh, don't love the popularity, though. Um and there are some, some ways to get contrarian there without getting too cute. Um, you know, quality players that we can pivot to. Um, if you are concerned about Mitchell's ownership, I would almost maybe – I put a bet on him today at 45 to 1. I'd almost rather want to go that route versus trying to fight that ownership. But I, I do like him as a play. 
Uh, he's just kind of on the forefront uh, of a lot of DFS players' mind right now. He's a very popular play last week. Uh, people talked him up in the lead up to the Honda uh, at Rolls Route in the Bay Hill, where he's got a great track record as well. So a lot of people are just on Keith Mitchell. I mean, you can look at a Russell Henley, um, a guy that we've not talked about very much here lately, but had a very, very solid season. Um, the course history isn't great at Bay Hill, um, but we know that Bermuda's his best surface, and he's a very capable iron player. Uh, you mentioned Sergio. Uh, I, what about Cameron Tringali? Um, he, he's a guy that's been kind of erratic this year, uh, but we know has that upside, top 10 upside. So, you know, there's some some ways around Mitchell in this range. Sam Burns is a guy that, you know, if the ownership's really, really low, I'd like to give him a look. But, man, he's he's been burning me this year. Um, some really, really bad second rounds, man. I don't know what's going on with Sam Burns in the second round, but we, we've seen some bad uh, day twos from him this year. But uh, overall, very interesting range. I'll, I'll probably have quite a bit of exposure to it. Um, but but I think there's some ways you can go as we get down into the sevens. Um, you know, I think it's pretty plentiful down the 7K range. You got any thoughts down there? Uh, just to add one thing to the Sam Burns situation, like if he's going to be three to 5% owned, which I see higher than that right now, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of ownership flocking to different areas. If he ends up being three to 5%, I do think he makes for an interesting target, but uh, as we drop into the $7,000 range, I guess let's start it with Jason day really fast at 7,900. Okay. Uh, this, this was the spot he withdrew in 2019 to go to Disney world. I don't think the game is quite all back yet, but seven straight made cuts at this tournament when he hasn't decided to go set records on the Space Rangers ride at the theme park. Uh, there should be a really good leverage available since the price tag is higher than we have gotten during most of the better contests we have seen him at recently, but there's obviously going to be risk with taking him. Um, he will be included into my player pool if the ownership remains low enough. Uh, I would like to see 5% if I'm going to take a chance on him, but if it creeps up, um, and I hate saying it, I'll probably be out on him. And the same sentiment can be said for Justin Rose at 7,700. I'm willing to throw away his iron perfor performance at Pebble Beach. He's gained in his prior three starts before losing 5.6 during that contest. Uh, but it's just going to be one of those high-risk, high-reward spots where we are getting a proven winner at minimal ownership. I do think he makes more sense than Day when I remove my fandom from Day in this equation. Uh, but I will assume you guys bleep that out of it in post-production. We can't have negative Day talk on this show, especially coming from me. But uh, to round out this group, just really quickly to run through some names, really like Corey Connors at 7,700. I know the recent form looks bad, but... I was pounding the table to fade him during all my articles at Rotoballer the past month. Those were not good setups for him. And we finally get a venue where he can use his total driving to find success. I, I think this is the perfect bounce back spot for him. Luke List and Cameron Young at 7,500 will be two of the most popular targets in this range. We will see how insane it gets, but uh, I'm not removing either at this moment. Both are top 20 in par five scoring and total driving. That is a trait we aren't going to get often when we drop this far down the board. The only other player to crack the top 20 on both of those categories under $7,900 would be Cameron Davis. Kevin Na and Eric Van Royen will likely be in my player pool. I like both of them. And um, to wrap this up, I really like Keegan Bradley at 7,300. Fifth in my model when it comes to weighted tee to green. These tests where you don't need to make as many putts will always benefit poor putters. He hasn't missed a cut at the venue in his last nine trips. Uh, that's producing three top tens in that range. And I guess just to throw two more out there, I, I know I said Keegan Bradley was going to be the last, but uh, Sebastian Munoz and Martin Laird at 7,000. I think that both of them make sense too. If you're trying the salary save down in that bottom part of the range. Well, 7K range for me. Um, I don't really, there's, there's so much, there's a lot of names alike. I mean, I mean, we, my my best my best um, guy my models Luke List I have a hard time pulling my trigger on that Tennessee guy as much you know one a few weeks back uh, but he you know what he pops up on on models all the time because his ball striking is so good uh, I kind of like Chris Kirk even though he doesn't uh, score that well I mean we don't, we got to be on full fade on on Matt Wolf and 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 Patrick Reed right. I, I'm not playing Patrick Reed until something turns around. As far as Matthew Wolf is concerned, 
I mean, he's 1% owned right now is what I see on him. I'm not a Matthew Wolf guy. I I never am. But at least you know with him that the upside, if he does pop, is up there. I I probably, I don't think it hurts to sprinkle him into builds, but I'm not necessarily like trying to fit him into something. Like if it works and, you know, he's 1%, if I play him, if you're maxing out contests with 150 builds, like I don't think it hurts to put him into you know, five or six lineups and kind of take your chances there with it and get a little bit overweight. But yeah, I mean, for the most part, those are not two guys that I'm necessarily trying to get to. I think Wolf makes a lot more sense though. Yeah, I guess uh, surprisingly for me, I'm probably going to be looking at McNeely. I'm, I'm right now, I'm in text with my wife trying to get a picture of me at the Buzz Lightyear ride at Disney <laughs> so I can put it up here on the pod, but uh, I've not been successful yet. <laughs> what are the chances Jason Day was behind you during that ride? I mean, I probably wouldn't recognize him. <laughs> I haven't seen him in a long time. So, uh, um, <clears throat> so okay, guys. Uh, 6K range. Uh, where y'all at here? Too many names to mention. We got some, I got some guys down here that has, has popped on my model, though. Uh, Troy Merritt being one of them. Um, well, he's not. He's only 7K. Sorry. Uh, I looked earlier. I had some good some uh um uh, aaron ray or aaron rye excuse me aaron rye he's 20th in my model that seems uh pretty pretty high down here uh, his proximity at plus 200 uh is really good and his approach is pretty good off the tee is pretty good par five scoring is pretty good um so their par four scoring is pretty good so and, and but i think he's probably going to be one of the higher owned guys down here in the 6k range uh, along with maybe a Pat Kazire, who's had some success uh, on tour. Um, where, where are y'all at in the 6K range? Are we throwing any darts down here hoping to splash around long shots, or, or are we just kind of just going to be plugging some guys in the GBP lineups? Where are y'all at down here? You want to start us off, Joe? I'm sure, man, I can. I, I, I think you can go down here. I don't think you have to because the 7K range is so good. Um, there are a lot of viable options in the 7Ks, so I don't, I don't know that you have to go fishing down in the sixes, but there's some solid plays down here. Um, just just toss out a couple guys kind of at the top. Uh, Thomas Peters was a guy that let a ton of people down at Riviera. Um, this might not be a bad bounce-back spot for him. Uh, Sahita Gala's hanging out there at 7K. We know what type of player he is on long golf courses, so I think you can give him a look. Um, Aaron Wise is a player... Uh, I think Spencer was as well. I was very high on on his prospects heading into the year. Uh, he's been horrible so far. Um, but at 6,900, um, at least a noteworthy guy down there, uh, a very talented player at 6,900. Um, Andrew Putnam, uh, we've seen some solid form from this year. Uh, had a T4 here last year at Bay Hill, so I think we can give Putnam a look. The irons have been solid. That's always what I'm looking for from him. Um Garrett Kigo's a talented guy. I'll toss out Adam Svensson, a guy who had a really strong outing last week. We, we saw a pop earlier in the year as well. Um, he's an excellent iron player, so I think you can look at Adam Svensson down here. Um, and, and a couple of really deep dives if you want to kind of go all the way down to the bottom. Um, Sean O'Hare. <laughs> I know it's going to sound crazy, but I kind of like Sean O'Hare this week at 6,200. Uh, I think he's playable. Uh, which which at 6,200 saying a lot. Um, he's got a very good track record here. Um, we saw him look good at Pebble Beach. He played he played well a couple of weeks ago on the Corn Ferry Tour. Had a top ten. So he's a veteran. Uh, you know it's probably a probably a throwaway GPP play, but you know I think you can toss Sean O'Hare in some lineups. And and Davis Riley's a really talented guy at 6,200. Uh, making his course debut. I, I just like him as a talent uh, at 6,200 bucks. Yeah, I, I'm going to find myself down here more than I typically do because of the increase in made cut percentages for all golfers. Uh, Joe touched on a couple of the people that I like, but I'll, I'll quickly run through these. Um, Carlos Ortiz at 6,900 is trending in the right direction with back-to-back top 40 finishes. He's averaging nearly 3.4 per start during that time with his irons, albeit some of that is including his hole-in-one at the waste management. So take that with a grain of salt, but I do think 6,900 is a good price for him. 
Ricky Fowler at 6,900. We finally saw him gain strokes with this putter at the Honda after losing in five straight. Unfortunately, the finish was reduced because he lost with his irons for the first time in four starts. Sometimes it takes a simple solution to put it all together. And he does seem to be getting himself back on track. Uh, Joe mentioned Aaron Wise at 6,900. I thought he should have made the cut last week. I I like his upside for the price. He's been horrible. I do think at some point it'll turn around. I I thought he looked okay last week. Uh, It's a very volatile play. I mean, the form does not look good. But I think at 6,900, he does have the upside that at least makes him worth sprinkling into lineups. Uh, Garrett Higo, 6,700. This would be a bet on his par five scoring ability and his overall talent. The Irons have averaged nearly a stroke to the field uh, since the 2022 restart. Adam Svensson, 6,700, 12th in this field when it comes to weighted proximity over 150 yards. Uh, Joe mentioned this a little bit, but I loved how he struck the ball at the Honda. It's, you know, a similar thought with him that he should see an increase at this course with this putter uh, since it can be marginally hidden. I always like Cameron Davis. I think 6,600 is a good price for him. Uh, I mentioned him as earlier as one of only three golfers priced below 7,900 that ranks inside the top 20 in par five scoring and weighted total driving. I think Charles Howell III has really solid course history at 6,400. A made cut would make him a bargain steal. I'm less likely to play him than everybody I've mentioned so far, but uh, the course history at least puts him into play. And then I don't think you need to go lower than this. Um, Doug Gim at 6,300 continues to grade well. I probably won't get there. I never seem to find success with him. I think he's a little too volatile for me. And then if you really want to dart throw a name, Adam Shank at 6,100, 29th at this venue in 2019. And he did gain with his irons for the first time in three starts at the Honda. I think this might be a little um, bit of a, a good course for him that he can find success. But, you know, once you get lower than like that Cameron Davis 6,600 range, you're really dart throwing at the very bottom of that board. I agree. I was trying to find a reason to play Danny Willett this week, and I just can't do it. He was one of the guys I had highlighted, and uh, uh, just the, the recent form just hadn't been there. Um, I mean, I, I, he's really good. Long iron play is really good, but I just can't. I can't pull a trigger on him. And I agree. Anything under sixty five hundred, let's just stay away from. So, but where are we at on the darts? Um, Joe, you go first. Who's your dart of the week? I don't know if he qualifies as a dart, um, but I'm, man, I really think it's worth a lot to find guys that can, that can go low on tough golf courses. Um, it's not something a lot of, a lot of guys can do. Um, but let me give you a couple of Cameron Young's rounds this year. Had a 64 at Torrey Pines South, had a 62 at Riviera, had a 65 final round 65 last week at PGA national. So, uh, it's his course debut. Anything can happen. He's a young guy. But uh, if we're throwing darts, uh, give me a guy that can go low on a tough golf course. I'll take Cameron Young at 7,500. Cameron Young, 7,500. Gotcha. Spencer, where are you at on your uh, your dart for the week? I I mean, I think there's a couple different places you can go with it. Um, is, is Keegan Bradley low enough? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll always we'll always qualify the Keegs as a dart throw, even though he's eighty. If he's eighty six hundred, he's still a dart. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's always going to be volatility with him. Um, I mean, if you did want to go a little bit lower and make an absolute dart throw with this, I do like Cameron. I think that he possesses a lot of upside if he can put it together. Same thing with like Ricky and the guys in that range, but I guess let's go with Keegan Bradley at 7,200. Keegan Bradley. I'm going to go a little, little, um, I think, I think that this man's got still a little few sticks in the fire. Uh, If he can hold four rounds together, I really like his chances to even win the tournament. Honestly, guys, Um, Justin Rose, 7,700. I feel like that's a little bit of a dart. I wish he was a little bit cheaper, but I'll, I'll take it. And be honest. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if uh, Thomas Peters finished dead last in the field or wins the tournament either way. Uh, so he's somebody that maybe you could sprinkle in on the dark side, but the, also the like Belgian, that. the Belgian Keegan Bradley. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And plus I think he lived in this area for a little bit or uh, maybe um, 
I know he did. Well, I think he did. Yeah, right, right there when he was trying to make make his way on the PJ Tour, maybe like four years ago, I think. So, <clears throat> anyway, uh, heart. Where's your heart at this week, Spencer? Uh, just really quickly to touch on the two names that you just said, I, I think those are two really good options that are going to be sub five percent. That, as you said, like they might come in last place, but there is a chance that they could win the tournament, and that's what you're looking at when you're throwing darts down here. But uh, for my heart play, I'm going to go with Rory McIlroy. I think he wins this tournament. Um, I think him and Victor Hovland are in a shootout come Sunday. And uh, those are two guys that I'm going to try to build a bunch of lineups around them and see what happens. Like, obviously that's going to put me on the lower end of the salary scale, but I think there's enough guys lower down the board, um, whether it be a Keegan Bradley or some of these guys in the $6,000 range where I can fill out lineups perfectly fine with this being 120 man invitational with it. So I'm going to say Rory McIlroy wins this tournament. Rory McIlroy. Joe? I love Rory. Um, love Vic, but I'm going to go with the guy that's right there with him. I don't know where his ownership will be, but I just really like how Scotty Scheffler's playing golf right now, guys. Um, I, I like his ability on tough golf courses. like him on long golf courses. Um, it, it just feels like things are starting to come together for Scotty Scheffler. Um, so, so that's where my heart is this week. Perfect course for him. I, I will agree with that. I feel like you stole my thunder a little bit there, Spencer. I like Rory McIlroy too. I, like you've said before, uh, whenever he's comfortable, whenever, like I said before, whenever he's comfortable, uh, he's, he plays better than he, he normally does. And, and he's real comfortable in this golf course. He has, he has great finishes. So I'm Roy McIlroy. I'm all in on McIlroy this week. I think I was last year and he didn't play that great. So, uh, but uh, I like him. I like him this week. Roy McIlroy for me. All right, guys. I think that's a wrap. Uh, Spencer, again, congratulations on the award. Uh, Fantasy uh, Sports Golf Writer of the Year. Um, Joe, lead golf editor at rotoballer.com. Do you really want to go in, go into real quick rotoballer.com and uh, throw out uh, both your promo codes? Yeah. Um, visit rotoballer.com. Uh dirt cheap price tag over there for the take you through the rest of the season i think it's 69.99 right now um you can use a promo code mine's nice uh spencer's is t off that'll get you a 10 percent discount off that so definitely want you to go over rotoballer.com check out our pga premium content why is the uh the price not 69.69 <laughs> i put in a i put in a request for that i haven't got anything back yet well, I think that that's what it should be. But, uh, you know, thank you guys, as always, for having me on this show. It's it's always a pleasure to be able to talk to the two of you guys every single week when we get able to do it. So, um, you know, good luck to everybody that's playing out there. And, and once again, thanks to everybody who has supported me and helped me get that FSWA nomination and win. There you go, Joe. Uh, there you go, Spencer. Congratulations again, Joe. Appreciate it every week as well. Guys, let's, uh, let's go bust them this week. Um, thank you, rotoballer.com, for everything you do. Uh, hit us up on Twitter. Uh, if you like what you heard, give us a subscription, share it with your friends, ask us a question on Twitter, anything, ask in the comments. Uh, you've listened to another episode of the Turner Fancy Gal podcast. Already here, three in the lake. It's gonna drive.